0: He is, of course, the one and only hockey insider in this country. Everyone else has just been imitation, which is, of course, the most sincere form of flattery. The former scribe for the Sioux star. Bob McKenzie out already with some preliminary draft rankings for 2024. Bobby Mack, Bobby Margarita. It's like nine months away, but this is why we love the game at this level. My name's Mike Farwell on Twitter or X at Farwell underscore OHL. That guy over there, Dan Mahar, on Twitter or X at Dan Mahar. Neither of us will claim to be Bob McKenzie, although he has been on this podcast. If you missed the episode, go back and listen to it. Awesome stuff. But Dan, when we look at uh, Bobby Margarita's preliminary draft rankings, I guess defences served in the Ontario Hockey League this year. Dickinson, Parekh, and your buddy Henry Muse out of Ottawa, all in his top half of the first round.
1: Yeah, like so the reason we go to Bob's list, as you noted, was he's got the best track record in the business for, for nailing these things. He talks to a lot of people, and their amalgamation of these opinions from trusted scouts he has, and it usually parlays into what we see at the draft. So yeah, Bob lit, released only his top 16s, the top half of the first round. So these are the elite, the elite of the class of 2024. So just 16 players across the globe, the best ones he, he has ranked three of them, defensemen from the OHL, which was kind of, we teased earlier when we looked at the, the under 18 tournament and, and who was coming up, it was going to be a banner year for the OHL, especially on defense. And yeah, he has, he has Sam Dickinson in at fives in Preck at 14. Currently, And of course, Muse at 16. And he did throw out, I believe, four or five honorable mentions. And he had a forward in there. He had Beckett Seneca of Oshawa in one of his honorable mentions, suggesting he would be a a surefire first rounder at this point. But just a a pretty incredible thing to see three defensemen from the OHL in the top half of the first round on the very preliminary rankings.
0: Speaking of teasing things, this would be a good opportunity for us to remind you that when we get into regular season form here, our weekly Tuesday episodes will include our prospect of the week. So the draft eligible player, NHL draft eligible, that is of course, player that Dan and I think had the best week for whatever reason. And then you can email us OHL podcast at Rogers.com and tell us how dumb we are, how far off the mark we were, whatever the case may be. But in all honesty, Dan, that's what makes watching the game at this level so much fun. So Bob comes out with his preliminary rankings of the top 16 before the OHL or the CHL season even starts. Obviously the European players, we won't be able to keep our eyes on, but certainly here in North America and in rinks around the Ontario hockey league, we have those three plus maybe the honorable mention to keep our eyes on. We can track the progress, see what we see in these players, see where they go in the draft next June. And then of course the most fun I've always had is, is watching them, in the pros once they turn pro it's the game that i think everybody loves to play at this level is he going to make it and where will he be drafted
1: yeah and and we all know we should just preface this right up front that the lists change a phenomenal amount from right now to when the draft actually occurs and you can go over any draft over the past 20 years and you can see what the preliminary preseason rankings look like versus the final there are players that weren't even listed for the draft weren't even ranked for the draft and end up going first round um there's a whole whack of uh, russian players right now currently making an ascent up the early season polls. so a lot's going to change that's not to say it's a massive disappointment if these three ohl defensemen don't go in the top half of the first round but quite an honor and and i i was really happy to see uh bob's list had dickinson at five i had read an amalgamated list that took several scouting services and and amalgamated their rankings and averaged them out and created a combined one and it had Dickinson at 16 I kind of chuckled because I said there is I would put my reputation on Dickinson not being available at 16 Mike
0: yeah he's got top 10 talent for sure and a lot of other pedigree that would suggest he won't be around at 16 it reminds me a little bit though I mean, weren't we about a year ago and it was just a completely different year, but a lot of talk about another defenseman in the Western Conference of the Ontario Hockey League being not just a surefire first rounder, but maybe even a top 10 pick in Cam Allen. And we all know what can happen over the course of a 68 game season.
1: Yeah, that's a great example, Mike. It was in the back of my head as I was just speaking about that because we can see it go very much the other way. And not to pick on Cam Allen, a lot of things kind of went off the rails for him last year and continue to for him this year with an injury. He's going to keep him out for a while. But that can happen because I I look at Cam Allen's year, and you're right, preliminary rankings had him top 10, Mike. I saw a lot right around 10, 9, 10, 11 in that range. And it was almost a surefire first-round pick, probably top half of the first-round pick. Several suggesting he might be the first D off the board after captaining the under-17 team for Canada, looking physical, aggressive, had a good point shot, worked the power play, had a great uh, rookie year for Guelph. So you look at what went wrong. Well, sometimes it's not even what went wrong so much as what went right for a bunch of other guys. And these guys have these meteoric rises. You look at a guy like Jake Sanderson playing for the Ottawa Senators right now. He wasn't even on the radar going into his draft year very much. He was well down the list and then just leapt up to... Top five pick in the in NHL draft in the course of basically two brilliant months he had in the NCAA. So all to say that I'm expecting a lot will change, Mike. But it's it's fun for us because we're going to get to see players like Parekh who had that brilliant 21 goal season last year, uh, Henry Muse getting the nod as a 16th overall pick. Now there's pressure on them. Who will step up? Who will kind of bow to that pressure? So, and there's a bunch of other guys in the OHL radar this year, Mike, that could uh, sniff around the top round as well. So it makes it fun for us to watch.
0: You know, you consider those three guys that are getting the press right now Dickinson, hard to argue how well coached he is in London. In fact, impossible to argue, not to mention on a good hockey team. Perek, after a terrific year. Last year, as you already mentioned, is going to be on the Memorial Cup host Saginaw Spirit. All kinds of opportunity for him to blossom. And then, can you really think of a a better coach with a better defensive mind in the Ontario Hockey League? Maybe Stan Butler in Erie, but Dave Cameron right now in Ottawa coaching Henry Mews. I I think those are three guys that will help keep these young players on track. I didn't mention Chris Lazarus' name, sorry, in Saginaw, but talked about the team that Perek is playing for. I, I think they're is every reason to believe that these guys will stay on the path that they're projected to be on.
1: Well, yeah. And one of the things I look for, Mike, is that development, that growth, you look at players that they all have holes, 17 year old hockey players all have weaknesses and things to work on. So you look at those things and who really improves them dramatically. And you look at three, three defensemen we talked about. So Dickinson's kind of a a well-rounded package, which is why he's got the ranking he has. But if anything, I think some of the scouts are asking, you know, what is the offensive ceiling? So what's Dale Hunter going to coax out of him this year? And I have no doubt, based on track record, that Hunter will get a fair bit out of him offensively. Uh, then you look at Parekh and Muse, the question is, can they defend? So you look at those two coaches that have an awful lot of tools to work with there, and are these guys going to prove this year with heavier minutes against heavier competition Can they defend at the level to justify a top half of the first round pick in the NHL? And I mean, I, I, I believe those guys can, they've got all the tools to do it. It's just, it, it puts an awful lot of pressure on these kids, Mike.
0: If you're an Ontario hockey league fan, I think you might want to grow accustomed to watching the players on the blue line this season. Cause even when we go beyond Dickinson, Parekh and Muse who are getting all the press, I look at some of the other draft eligibles and there are defensemen popping out at me again, Jakub Kromiak, Anthony Christoforo, Ben Danford, Frankie Morelli, a teammate of Muse in Ottawa. It might well be the year of the D, which is something that you coined back in the summer, Dan, or I might've given it the name, but you were talking about defense
1: not resting in the Ontario Hockey League this season. Well, yeah. And we saw Morelli and Danford both playing as well on that U18 team, which just had a phenomenal tournament, but it was basically an all OHLD and those guys are getting kind of just in that honorable mention category right now for potentially second, maybe third round for, in some cases, if you're getting a a, a Ben Danford or a Frankie Morelli down there, I think you're laughing. So I I don't expect any of those guys to last that long. I think as the year goes on and these guys, particularly Morelli, you look how much ice time he's going to get in Ottawa this year uh, alongside Muse running that, that power play. And, I think you're going to see some of those guys just have a a rapid ascent up those rankings.
0: Speaking of U 18s, which you made reference to a couple of times, Cole Baudouin was a guy that you noticed at the U 18s this summer. We talked about him on one of our pop-up podcasts through the summer months. And he's a guy that I'm really interested in watching with the Barry Colts this year, seeing what he can do, taking that next step this season. And I promise you, I had not seen Bobby Mack's honorable mentions. I'm so glad, and I'm maybe I'm on the same page as Bob McKenzie in this regard. Beckett Seneca is another guy, obviously, with the Oshawa Generals, that I'm really curious about this season. Love the size. Love the hands. I, I think this is a guy that uh, has a lot of first-round potential, depending on how the season goes for him. He's in a good environment there, again, under a good coach and Derek Laxdahl. Baudouin and Seneca – Forwards are guys that I'm really interested in watching this year.
1: Yeah, I like great calls on those, Mike. And I think you know when you watch this league, there's 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 so many players. There's only so much time, and and, and admittedly, not everyone can be an expert on everyone. You just can't simply can't get enough views to have a great opinion on everyone. You do your best, the best you can. And I'll admit, Cole Baudouin is a, a kid I didn't know enough about until I watched that tournament. I was just wow. I I remember five or six times in the first game, just saying, oh, who's this kid? Why don't I, why, why did I not know as much about him last year as I should have? Uh, he just leapt off the page to me, Mike, with the the pro game, the all around game. And, and you're seeing his name already creeping up those lists based on that. So again, that's another name. I'm really looking forward to seeing this year.
0: All right, let's talk about another curious case. Not so much in the Ontario Hockey League anymore, but just very recently. Last week, we talked about the curious case of Jordan Ertle, whose rights were essentially sent to Guelph. A package was determined in advance in case Guelph decided that he wanted to keep him. They'd send a predetermined package back to Oshawa. As it turns out, Jordan Ertle is going to play with the Elmira Sugar Kings this season a great organization in the greater Ontario Junior Hockey League, the Junior B loop. This time we look at a player that was in the Ontario Hockey League last year and by all accounts is not going to be in the Ontario Hockey League again this year, but maybe should be. And what makes the case of Philip Machar even more interesting to me, Dan, is last year this was a guy that the Rangers, Kitchener Rangers, you could argue – took a bit of a flyer on assuming that he would come, or if he came, that he would be a, a key piece of the puzzle. He didn't come right away, but eventually he did. And because there was that delay, I remember Jeff Merrick was the first one to report it. And even after he reported it, there were some skeptics that said, no, it it's not happening. Eventually, obviously we know he shows up in Kitchener, had a hell of a debut. I think it was a four point first game, if I'm not mistaken. Nonetheless, really kind of took the league by fire in his first weekend tailed off but at the end of the season it seemed to be a fait accompli that philip machar would be elevated to the american hockey league in laval but now after this summer not everybody's sure about that
1: well i think Mike. so watching this league as many years as we have and seeing as many prospects come through as i have you, you start to get a feel for who is or is not pro ready and I'm adamant that the, the AHL is a very good league and you need to be both physically and mentally ready for the challenge. And it depends on your situation. Some of the AHL teams aren't as stocked as others, but for a coach to trust you to play there, you have to have a pretty mature developed all around game. And you're maybe just looking for reps at that level to to elevate to the NHL. I think it's a huge mistake for some of these kids to go there before they're ready for a lot of reasons. One, it can stifle your offensive confidence if you're, if you're not, succeeding against men. And secondly, if the coach doesn't trust you in these situations and your minutes drop, I just believe you're stunting your development. And and I, I have been on record as saying, you know me, I'm a Habs fan. I'm a Kitchen Ranger season season ticket holder. I, I would love nothing more than for Massar to have a brilliant career. I don't believe he's anywhere near ready for the HL right now for a lot of reasons one of them being the influx of talent going to Laval this year on top of the veterans they've already got there. I don't see any pathway where he's going to get meaningful minutes and it's not a slam on him. He's a 19 year old kid who's undersized, had an adjustment year last year with lots of ups and downs. To me, he clearly needs another year of junior. And I think it's the best for him, but Montreal's is deal- dealing with a situation where they have a kid who just does not want to be in junior and they're trying their best to work through the situation for him. And, Earnestly, they're, I think they're giving him a shot, Mike, and saying, okay, you want to be here in Laval, we'll give you a shot, you earn your minutes, you prove it to the coach, and we'll see. But I, we'll see how October goes in Laval. I would not be shocked at all to see Philip Massar back in the OHL, whether it's in Kitchener or they trade his rights, but I believe it'll become fairly clear fairly quickly that he is not going to be getting the best development this year in Laval. Maybe next year, but I think he's a three- to four-year project to, to work his way to the NHL.
0: Isn't this a fly in the ointment though, in so many different ways, Dan, because a team that wouldn't have expected Mashar to be back for another season might've filled that import spot, for example. And now you're really holding, I think, too many parties hostage in a situation like this.
1: Absolutely. It, 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 there's a lot of party. There's a lot of balls in the air for a lot of people. and, And one shoe has to drop before the next ones can. So for, you're, you're right for a team like Kitchener, they've got to hold on to his his spot, anticipating he might come back. There are some rules that buffer them. Kitchener could potentially fill the spot and then you have, I believe it's a two-week period to trade him if he were returned, where you can have the three on your roster. You can only play two, but there's a little bit of uh, a window there for them to make things happen, but it's very difficult and very challenging. What you'd love to see is for these people to all have mature conversations and figure out what's best for the the player's development, Uh, and come to some sort of agreement because I think there are very few, I've said a long time. I think there are very few teenagers that belong in the AHL. Very few. Those ones are special. So it's not a slag on, on Philip Messiah to say he shouldn't be there this year. I, I think what you have there is a bit of a unique case where you have a player that played against men at 17 comes to the OHL thinking, well, I've already played against men. Now I'm I'm regressing, I'm playing against teenagers, but it's failing to see the quality of the OHL and what it can do for you. And I think everyone who watched this league last year would agree that he clearly has more to prove here. And, and, you know, if you race, if you try and race your way to the, to the end line, you sometimes miss some steps along the way. And I think that whoever's advising Massaro would be wise to get, get in his head to explain to him the, the validity of playing another year in junior anyway.
0: So this reminds me of a conversation we had last week around players not reporting to the teams that originally drafted them. Jim Fox, maybe the first famous example, not going to Windsor, instead going to Ottawa. Eric Lindros, maybe the most famous example, as we all know, et cetera. And I said then that we have to remember that these are 16-year-old, 15-year-old at this point, right, kids. I think we should give them some agency. And if they're being up front, and I know the problem becomes, of course, some people will game the system or play the game, if you will, and say they're not going to go just until they get to a team that they would rather play for. But again, you're talking a 15-year-old kid moving away from home. I think providing that kid and his family some agency in all of it, I can understand that, and I can probably even support it. And we also talked in this same context, I believe it was just last week, and it's worth reinforcing. I've never seen a player suffer by coming back to the league that they think they're too good for and then dominating. So if Philip Mishar were sent back to the Ontario Hockey League and dominated with whatever team he ended up playing for, I think that's just a win for the player and probably his future. But that's the old guy in the room that has seen things go the opposite way, alluding to what you said before. We've all seen situations where players, they try to move up the ladder too quickly and they end up flaming out before they have any sort of meaningful pro career. What I would say in this case, as much as I just admitted to, I think it's fair to give young kids or agency in where they're going to play and declare, I don't want to go to this place or that place. In this case, I, I'm, I'm somewhat reluctant, but I'll say it anyway. It, you got to put on your big boy pants right now because you are property of the Montreal Canadiens, and, and the Montreal Canadians essentially now are your boss. And I, I know there is union protection from the NHLPA within the contract, but listen, if, if my employer came to me, if Roger said, listen, Farwell, we're, we're done with you in Kitchener, but we've got this opening in Vancouver, that's where you're going next. And if you don't want to go there, well, then I guess we're just going to part ways as employer-employee. That's, that's kind of the way it works. Granted, I don't have the the union protection, but that to me is is what you do when you enter an employment agreement. The employer kind of has some control over you. In that regard, and in in this sense, I think that as much as I think you make great points, and Philip Machar probably feels like he's too good or would be regressing if he comes back to play with teenagers, it's not up to him anymore. His rights are owned. His rights are owned by the Montreal Canadiens.
1: Well, you're absolutely right, Mike, and I have to add another piece to that, which is also very important in the, to set the context, is that. The Montreal Canadiens are not just taking an employee and trying to stunt his growth or or shuffle him off somewhere because they're not interested. It's in their best interest for this player to develop well. They have his interests in mind. There's a whole lot of knowledgeable hockey people there that are observing this and and putting together the plan that they think is the best for this kid to realize his potential. So I think it's time for, you use the term, put on your big boy pants, but it's time sometimes for these kids to, trust their organization that drafted them, trust these experts that are in charge of their development to some extent. And maybe they know something that you don't, because I I think what is a problem with Philip Massar in this case, but some of these kids is that they come with some obvious skill and some obvious potential and they have flashes and they'll have dominant games. Like you referenced Massar's four point game. And he had some great moments at the rookie tournament last year and he was great at the world juniors and, and he had, he was apparently very good against men in his draft year. And he, he sees those things. And he says, yeah, I'm ready. I did this. I did that. But they fail to understand that what's important are the, the, we always talk about the cliche, the details, and the little things, and the consistency. And it's those things that the NHL team is interested in the player building. So I think communication solves a lot of issues here. And I think the Montreal organization needs to communicate that clearly to Massar and his agent and his family that, We understand that you can turn a guy inside out and roof it on one shift, but we need you to be a responsible, trustworthy player in all these situations, the entire game, recognize all these different reads, these different combinations, all these tendencies you have that are bad habits. We need you to work those out of your game. And the only way to do that is lots of reps at a lower level when you have time and space to figure it out. So I think it's, Helping that player understand that, you know, quite frankly, you're not quite as finished a product as you think you are. You're not quite as good as you think you are. And that's a tough conversation to have, but it's in the best interest of the kid, just like a parent would have with a child. Tough conversations, but the outcome is what you're interested in. And if you let the kid dictate his own outcome, odds are it's not going to go as well as if he were to listen to those around him
0: what is it they say youth is wasted on the young and granted we've seen teams make poor decisions before absolutely when it comes to managing their assets but by and large there's way too much at stake for the parent organization here in this case the Montreal Canadiens to screw it up and yeah when you're that 19 year old it's so hard to see it from the perspective of like a guy in his fifties like me or much younger, even like you, Dan, but you just, you don't see that big picture when you're 19 and you're thinking of your pro hockey career.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's uh and maybe the conversation they have is, is an unspoken one where they let the kid play in Laval for a while and see, yeah, this isn't quite going as I expected, you know, the, and a kid at that age with, you know, let's face it, no one's as mature as, as they're going to be when they're 17 or 18 years old or 19 years old. So with that being said, their reaction could be blame the coach. He's not giving me the opportunities. He's not giving me power play time. Or his, his reaction could be, I'm not getting the opportunities here. Maybe I should go where I am going to get the opportunities where the team wanted me to go. Maybe they're onto something here. And the question will be in Philip Massara's case is which reaction does he have? And if it's the former, the team's got to be really worried about that because that might not be the type of player that you need around your organization long term. If it's the latter, I think it's going to serve everyone well. So it's something to keep your, an eye on, Mike. But I, I, I just don't see Philip Massar having a meaningful development here in the HL for the entire season. I think at some point we're seeing his his rights or his you know to, whether it goes back to Europe to play in Slovakia again for a bit or comes back to the OHL, I think that's going to be in his best interest.
0: The Ontario Hockey League likes to bill itself as the premier development league hockey league in the entire world. I believe them, but it's not just for players and coaches. There is another pipeline to the pros as well, and we'll explore that as we continue with this episode of the OHL podcast. in this case Dan I could look back to what we talked about on a recent episode with it's no longer a standard player agreement right it's a development and scholarship package kind of a shot at the NCAA hey we're over here we're giving scholarships too and we remain the premier destination for hockey development in the entire world so you've got that part of it and my advice to anyone taking this particular path to the pros is just don't be a Tim Peel everything will be fine (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't disagree there, Mike. I can't disagree there. Tim Tim Peel was never my favorite, uh, not the most professional referee. But yeah.
0: Dan Kelly finds himself though uh, amongst the full time NHL officials. Obviously, a former OHLer and captain with the Kitchener Rangers.
1: Well, Dan Kelly, right off, like, right off the bat, one of my favorite OHL players of the last several years, just. Uh, kind of an under the radar name to a lot of people who weren't around at that era D- name might not leap off the page, but just a phenomenal all around player. Uh, one of those guys that was just so steady and reliable. I don't know that I've ever seen a blue liner better at keeping the puck in at the blue line, like the little things that were so good and just a phenomenal skater had toughness, like uh, phenomenal player, which is kind of uh, probably one of the things that IQ, that ability that led him to be actually a good official um you need those kind of traits to to morph into that game so so it's nice to see Dan Kelly make that transition to NHL linesman it's one of those things where i mean we talk about it quite a bit the hockey
0: world is a pretty small world for example on my radio broadcasts this coming season i'm going to be working with a guy i got to know when he was a coach in this league he's now joining the broadcast side and just imagine what it's going to be like for that coach coming back into the league, visiting buildings he used to coach in, seeing players and scouts and in their different roles today, other coaches, etc. Paul Fixter is the person that I'm talking about joining our broadcasts on City News 570. But I used to, I used to tease Joel Washcrack so much, uh, and he's been on this podcast now. Of course, a scout with the Ottawa Sixty-Sevens was a former ref in the Ontario Hockey League and was a guy. Whose games I called when I was a post-secondary student studying broadcasting at Conestoga College in Kitchener. They had a hockey program still back then in the old OCAA, the Ontario College Athletics Association, the Conestoga College Condors, and Washer was the star of the team. Like he he was on every one of my highlight reels that I made trying to get jobs in the industry. Anyway, so I'd see him through the league. And it was it was great fun. And you look at guys today who once played in the league and I'm talking major junior now and are back as officials in that league. And sometimes in the case of Dan Kelly, who was drafted by the New Jersey devils, but it wasn't going to work out for him hockey wise. And somewhere along, along the lines, somebody said, Hey, you can skate decently well here. (laughs) Have you ever thought of being an official? And the next thing, you know, you're on the pipeline to the pros by going the officials route, as you said. Now, a full-time NHL linesman. I remember running into Dan at an arena. This goes back a few years and it was late. We were coming back from a road trip and he was in the arena for whatever reason, but it's, you know, stop, catch up. And listen, it's not, it's not necessarily a glamorous life. It's not an easy life. He says he spends more time in hotel beds than his own, but you make decent money at it. You're still in the game that you love. You're just on a different side of it. And dare I say, you can hang around a whole heck of a lot longer as a liney than you can as a defenseman going after pucks in the corner. Yeah. Imagine that. Eh? You get all the
1: excitement <laughs> of the NHL and just fewer punches to the head, hopefully. But yeah, it it shows that when you come up through hockey, there are lots of career pathways that you can choose if the playing portion of it doesn't doesn't come to fruition and this is this is case in point
0: we see so many guys who end up in the coaching ranks tons of them end up in the scouting ranks and these others who are obviously pursuing things through the officiating ranks the one thing i will add to this is if we want to continue seeing former players or frankly anybody pursue a path to the pros as an official we had really best learn to dial it back about 30 or 40% on our enthusiasm for booing them. Look, I'm I'm all for the occasional ref, you suck chant when it's really warranted. But some kids, and, and we've talked about this before, Dan, have started to abandon the officials path way early, like not even 20 years old yet, because they're out doing junior B, junior C, uh md triple a like you name it games with with kids not even in major junior and they're getting abused and i use that word deliberately abused by fans aka parents and it's just not worth it to these kids if we don't start treating them better at those levels we're not going to have any dan kelly's or anybody else coming up through the ranks
1: it's still sickening that anyone thinks it's okay to level that kind of abuse at an official of any sport and I've heard of some tournaments now, some of my colleagues in the coaching ranks have been to tournaments where if the parents are getting on the referees, the coach gets kicked out. And that's just the policy now. And, and some of the coaches said, well, why, why do I get kicked out? Cause they're yelling. And the, and the policy states that, well, if your parents can't behave, then you need to go over there and control them. So it's kind <laughs> of a, a, a sad statement that this kind of thing needs to happen, but it, it actually kind of ties full circle. You're absolutely right. We want to develop these, these officials and it's a great opportunity for kids to get, to get their work experience as an official and stay in the game. Uh, but just to tie it full circle to the Dan Kelly thing. And I know there's some people probably watch this podcast that say Dan Kelly, isn't that the guy that manhandled Michael Bunting and, and a lot of Leaf fans in, in Ontario that were just livid at Dan Kelly. Oh, this guy can't, shouldn't be in the game. Some of the vitriol I saw online over that incident. And quite frankly, I mean, you know that Dan Kelly, you know him personally from some of the work he's done for you on on your CF efforts and whatnot. Just a terrific guy. And frankly, doing his job that night, you have a, 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 let's just call it what it is. You have a pesky, petulant player who was trying to re-engage in a scrum multiple times. It's not an easy gig being a linesman trying to separate these. He's got multiple fires going on. He's trying to put them out one by one guy coming back into the fray and he wrestles him off the ice doing his job and of course is subject to just endless harassment online it's still going on whenever that name comes up the fact that he was named a full-time linesman this week stoked some of those reactions from Toronto fans and it's it's sad Mike I think people need to be able to separate themselves Uh, sort of understand perspective here minor things in a hockey game should not define a, a human being and a, particularly an official. They've all got the right intentions. They're all trying to do the job to the best of their ability and training. Let's give them a chance. And, and just this instinct to, to malign refs at every turn. I just, I just don't understand it. Cause we need more good people doing it uh, just like Dan Kelly is now.
0: Yeah, it's really well said and a great point made. And everybody remembers the bunting manhandling. I think Michael bunting got over it. You know, what occurs to me, you know, what else is tough, Dan podcasting. That's what else is tough because we're about to put our own feet to the fire as we look ahead to next week's episodes, when we will offer up our previews of both the East and West conferences in the OHL. And by previews, I mean we will project for you and predict for you which teams will be the top teams in each of those conferences, each of those divisions, et cetera. And I'm thinking back on last season, And well after the trade deadline, and as the playoffs began, and even as the playoffs wore on, we could boldly stick our necks out. But we didn't have to stick them out very far because there were fewer teams left, right? And I was hell-bent. It's going to be Sarnia and North Bay in the final. And what did we get? We got London and Peterborough. So that's what we're going to be into. Are your feet even colder now for next week?
1: (laughs) I know. All I'm going to do, Mike, is tell all our listeners who not to bet on because that's what I'm good at with my prognostications. Like that guy said it. Okay. I'm going to just do the exact opposite. It's going to be like the George Costanza thing here. Like take my list and just flip it. That'll do the be
0: opposite. Accurate. Absolutely. Yeah. If you've got any predictions you want to share before we get to ours next week, you know how to reach us. OHLPodcast podcast at Rogers.com. Please give the podcast a like, subscribe to it tell a friend you can get it everywhere you get your podcasts we're on youtube too you probably know that because you're here right now he's dan mahar find him on x or twitter at dan mahar my name's mike farwell at farwell underscore ohl thanks again for joining us your predictions come up next week on the ohl podcast